Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas Podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada. I'm a perimenopausal mama to my toddler named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed. I'm a naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Alberta. And I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. Today, it's Dr. Lisa, and I'm chatting with Melissa Biscardi all about concussions in kids and in women. Um, So welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this chat. Me too, because it's something that's starting to become more on my radar. I'm seeing more patients come into the clinic and they're having post-concussion symptoms that are showing up months or years after a traumatic brain injury. And we'll go through some of those signs and symptoms. And then my son had a possible concussion, mild concussion after being hit in the head with the soccer ball. He's okay now, but I thought I need to learn more about this topic. And who better to ask than you, Melissa, because I see this this is your focus of practice, correct? Absolutely is. And you know what? It is funny because it is something that you don't necessarily think about until you need to. So it's great that, um, well, it's not great that your son got a concussion, but as far as I know, he's recovered. Um yeah well and then but maybe some other people will then just get a few little tips and things to look out for so that when a concussion presents itself either in a friend or family member you'll have some tools um yeah to you definitely yeah I'll give people a little bit of a background so they understand your perspective and your training because you have a, a lot a lot of uh you know letters and behind your name and you have a lot on your plate which is awesome so um Melissa Biscardi you are a registered nurse manual osteopath research trainee at the University of Toronto and a self-proclaimed brainiac who's obsessed with concussion rehabilitation research and anything related to getting go-getters brains working working and thriving. Um, You started in the healthcare field over 20 years ago, and you feel that you were born to heal, but it took many twists and turns to find the right path. You've completed a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, a Master of Science focused on concussion in women, and are now doing your PhD looking at interventions to maximize concussion recovery. Um, Melissa, you're in private practice in Toronto, and you teach virtually and now in person. Um, You have a holistic approach to care that sets you apart and helps your patients get their lives back after concussions and other forms of brain drain. You've created an app called the Brain Toolkit app, which is available on Android and iPhone and can be used for concussion recovery or for just brain tickling. You've published a number of scientific journals and co-authored two book chapters, but most importantly, you're a big sister to two of the best little brothers in the world and a mother to a three-legged cat and the number one daughter to two quirky parents. I see you love to run and hike and explore the spectacular views and sounds that nature has to offer. So, wow, you have a lot of uh, things on your plate. How do you find the time, Melissa? 
I know. I'm. It's so funny when you hear the bio being read, right? When I was like, <laughs> but also when I said, oh, you know, it's been 20 years or over 20 years. Um, I'm like, but you know, as you get older, I feel like you also feel younger. So I'm like, how is this possible? <laughs> well, you have the brain toolkit app, you're tickling your brain. Right, exactly, exactly. You yourself young. I have to check that out. I like that idea of brain tickling. I think we could all use that in perimenopause with, you know, the brain fog. <laughs> so but I do love what I do. And in some ways, I feel like because, you know, I'm just a fur mama, I probably have, you know, more time um, on my hands. But I also feel like kids are a superpower, because all of the parents I know, you know, you have to be organized and use your time well. So feel like they're too Yeah, <laughs> this is true. But yeah, I, I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. And what attracted you to studying and researching concussions before we jump in? Yeah, so I sort of organically became interested in the brain and brain health, because uh, one of my mentors really was interested in it. And you know how that will often influence um, you know, where the reading goes and the thought processes. Um, then I, so this would have been around 2013, I actually started to have some memory loss and it ended up being related to over-the-counter um, sleeping aids like Benadryl or Sleep Ease, which lo and behold, they're not that great for our brain. So there was a whole at least year or two of me navigating the system and trying to figure out why as however old I was then, maybe, you know, early 30s, um, how, why am I losing my memory? Like, this is not good for the future, mm. but as an invisible injury not being taken seriously, right? So eventually you know, just or out of uh, serendipity, I managed to put the pieces together and realize it was from, um, you know, I would say abuse is maybe a strong word, but I was taking them regularly. Um, but it got me passionate about brain health, invisible injury, and those patients that are really just lost in the system. And that is really what happens with concussion. So I started to focus on the brain and then organically, it really became more focused on concussion um, and even women with concussion, some of the hormone stuff that happens. So it's really interesting, like in my bio, how I said it was a windy road and it really was, it was, I guess, where the universe was meant to take me. Amazing. Well, I'm excited to pick your brain because, yeah, I like how you put it's an invisible injury, right? Because it's it's hard to diagnose. That's what I found when Stuart got hit in the head. It was like, does he have one? Does he not? It's still not quite confirmed. But can we go through what a concussion is and what are, you know, some signs and symptoms? How do you know if you have one? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is one of the challenges with concussion. So it's a clinical diagnosis. So it's based on, okay, was there an event, 
right? Did did they fall? Did they hit their head on something? You don't actually need to hit your head to sustain a concussion because the concussion is from the shaking. It sounds gross, but the shaking of the brain in the skull, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes a motor vehicle accident, you might have a concussion, but maybe didn't hit your head. Or if you fell and you managed not to hit your head, but still have a concussion. So the first thing is we need to have an event Then the second part is you need to have some signs or symptoms that are not explained by anything else like alcohol um, or other diagnosis. So typically, oh, and you absolutely do not need a loss of consciousness. Only about 10% of concussions actually have a loss of consciousness. So that's, I like to say, one of the myths, right? Because people Mm -hmm. will often say, well, you know, I didn't get knocked out or I didn't pass out, but it actually is infrequent. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's say you fell, you hit your head, then some things you might experience are um, headache, vomiting, nausea, dizziness, um, changes in the vision like blurred vision, uh, sound sensitivity, light sensitivity, what else can happen? Well, pain for sure, either neck pain or pain at the site of, you know, where you hit. Those I would say are the main ones that happen like right at the time of injury. And for a concussion diagnosis, they usually say you need three of these. Mm-hmm. Okay. So three of and, the symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the you know, usually it's diagnosed by a physician. And so they'll say, let's say you hit your head, but it's actually, it's tricky, especially nowadays, I find because there's been two or three years of stress, right? People's resiliency are a little, is a little bit down, Mm -hmm. but that's what the physician is going to be looking for. Did you have an event? Do you have some symptoms? Okay. It's chances are you might have a concussion. And do the symptoms, so do, can the symptoms come on a few hours later? Is there a certain time frame or what does that look like? Yeah, so usually there is a symptom or two right at the time of injury. It's supposed to be within 24 hours. Some mm-hmm. people will say they didn't have any symptoms at the time of injury. But I do wonder sometimes if that is just, there is variability in how in tune people are right? Mm-hmm. Their bodies. So um, usually they say, you know, these at least three signs or symptoms within the first 24 hours. And actually, um, sorry, one thing I forgot to mention was amnesia or a little bit of amnesia. So let's say you hit your head, but then you don't remember the five minutes after you hit your head. That mm-hmm. amnesia portion, if it lasts longer than 24 hours, then we're looking at a more severe type of injury. Okay. Yep, and the same yep, thing, if you lose consciousness, which is not really um, a huge part of concussion, but if you do, we say 30 minutes or less. Otherwise, you're getting into a more severe type of injury. 
Mm-hmm. So within 30 minutes of the injury, and if it's happening later, there might be something like a brain bleed or exactly, something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, those are good um, signs and symptoms to look out for and good to know. People probably don't realize that if you don't hit your head, you can still get it. So with that yes. jarring of, you know, getting in a motor vehicle accident with whiplash, with falling with force, and not hitting your head, then it can manifest. What are the common, what do you see as like some of the most common sports? or ways that kids and then maybe women in the perimenopause, menopause yes, age get concussions? Um, one, before we talk about that, I would like, if you don't mind, may I tell you some of the red flags? Oh, for sure. Yes, definitely. Okay. So uh, vomiting, I don't want to say it's okay, but vomiting once is kind of within the realm of normal or average concussion. Um, But if someone is vomiting repeatedly or projectile vomiting, uh, straight to the ER, essentially. Um, If they have increase in confusion, if there's slurred speech, um, if if the headache is really increasing in intensity, if they have one, or if there's weakness or numbness in their arms or legs or anything that is suggestive of a seizure. So these would, of course, be alarming. Um, So I would think that most people would go to the ER, but sometimes, you know, we've been taught to quote unquote, wait and see, but we really don't want to do that when uh, someone has a potential concussion or maybe even a more severe head injury. Mm -hmm, If any of those happen, just, you know, go straight to the ER and, and get checked out. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's important to notice because yeah, that sounds like it's you know it's still serious with the concussion, but those are definitely red flags to um, look out for, making sure there's not further damage or issues going on. Um, so, anything else about the signs and symptoms we need to be aware of? I think that is yeah, those are the most important points. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and how might these happen? Definitely, there are some ways that are way more common than others. So for sport wise, for example, which will be one of the main causes for kids and adolescents, especially soccer, um, I mean, football, hockey, sort of the usual suspects, I want to say. But Mm -hmm. then you get uh, cheerleading is actually one of the higher uh, sports and surprisingly basketball. And I think that usually that's the result of an elbow. At least that's what I see in practice. Like someone went and made a shot and then somehow an elbow gets uh, thrown at them unintentionally. I know, right? (laughs) Um, And then you have, especially young kids, you know, falling off a bicycle or just falling in general. Uh, Falls are huge actually throughout the lifespan, but especially in young kids and then in older adults. And definitely, I would say the number one cause in older women, slips and falls Mm. as a cause of concussion. And unfortunately, also of a hip or wrist injury. Okay, so just yeah, like a hip, like breaking a wrist or hurting your hip, yes. and you can have the concussion from that. Um, or so if women slip, they're very likely to injure their hip for sure, and then their wrist from bracing for the fall. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I don't mean necessarily they have a terrible triad going all together, but just in general, those are sort of, um, and the older women, I don't even like using that word, but mm-hmm. uh, like over they 55. like perimenopause, menopause, menopausal. Yeah. <laughs> the literature. <laughs> That's right. So those are, yeah. So there's lots of, lots of ways to incur a con- concussion and what happens. So let's say we don't realize it's a concussion and we don't make any changes. Like what, what can happen? What can be the long-term effects? Yeah. So, and that is one of the things with a concussion. So some of those symptoms are nonspecific, like maybe you have a headache, right? But you are prone to headaches or the weather has been off. Um, so that one can be a little bit tricky or another symptom, I guess, is just your mood is off irritability, which again is not really specific in kids. Nausea, I would say is a big one, but again, those are not like where you want it. You hear it and you think, Oh, that's a concussion. So there are chances that you'll just go about your daily life. And I would say the risk is more if you're not taking care of your health in general, because a lot of the things we do for concussion early on is making sure you're getting enough rest, um, eating sort of a Mediterranean or anti-inflammatory diet. Like you don't want to be just having bonbons and other (laughs) inflammatory foods when your body is fighting an inflammatory process, right? Because if you think of when you hit your elbow, you have a whole inflammatory process that happens. Well, there's one that happens in the brain when you get a concussion. Um, But what will happen often is because your brain is using extra energy to heal, but is producing less energy because there's this uh, disruption in function, you will eventually hit some sort of wall and it will seemingly come out of nowhere. But actually it was that this energy deficit has been collecting over days and maybe two weeks. And then all of a sudden you say, oh my gosh, why do I feel this way? Or maybe your child is all of a sudden just, you know, feeling really um, poorly, essentially. It would be unlikely to just heal. Uh, I guess it does happen. But at some point, your body's going to give you a sign that something is off. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you want to. You know. Because again, you know, back in the day, quote unquote, it used to be shake it off, walk it <laughs> off. <laughs> Scary, right? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And then it was like, and then yeah, shake it off. And then it was like, okay, don't let people sleep, wake them up, you know? And that's another myth I like to say, because if you wake someone up every hour, they are going to feel terrible regardless. So Mm -hmm. now say, you know, you can sleep and I even say sleep at your regular hour, or maybe go to bed a little bit early because you want to stay on that rhythm um, but you know, if it's your child or a partner, you do want to check on them and make sure they're doing okay, but no need to shake them and wake them up. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Yeah. So they, they need that rest. And then what else do you recommend for that recovery period? So if someone knows they have a concussion or I've heard if, you know, suspected concussion, yes. like when in doubt, sit out. So it's still exactly. good I to exactly. follow the protocol. Like what do you recommend for those first, you know, 10 days, two weeks? For sure. So we see, usually say we treat it like a concussion regardless. Mm-hmm. So the first 
two days, only about two days, like unless it's a motor vehicle accident where there might be a whole bunch of other injuries at the same time. But let's say it was a fall um, or a sporting collision. Usually we say the first two days, you take it easy. We call it relative rest. So you don't need to stay in a dark room, right? You can be out, maybe do a puzzle. We want you to have one hour or less of screen time. So you don't have to completely be off the screens, but better outcomes are shown when you, you know, only use the phone or the computer for an hour or less over those two first couple of days um, and eat as healthy as possible. Fruits, vegetables, fish, meat, and avoid sugars and definitely avoid alcohol. Um, and then at about two days, you can start to move. If you have a clinician that you trust and that's accessible, definitely that is the time you can book in because we have parameters around starting people on aerobic exercise actually as early as, as two days post, um, I guess it would be the third day. And this is associated with recovery. This is the most researched intervention now, and that is early aerobic exercise. So literally a hundred degree uh, or 360 degrees, <laughs> whatever the degrees are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the opposite, yeah. <laughs> and, um, but if not, you know, you can actually start going for walks on that third day because of circulation, blood flow, um, even just so that you use some energy in a healthy way so that you're able to sleep again at night. Because if you're doing nothing, um, it's going to interfere with your sleep. So true. And yeah, so some of the things are simple, but actually really powerful. And mm -hmm. if you hit your head, you might say, oh, I don't want to do anything. But actually, we know that that is associated with a poor recovery. So there's a lot, a lot we can do, which is empowering. Definitely. And then, you know, booking in with you, because can you tell me a little bit about, so when people come to see you one-on-one, -on -one, what does the support look like and how is your app used for concussion recovery? Oh, yes. Yeah. So my approach is very holistic, especially because the path I took to get here comes from, you know, a few different what would you call it? Well, professions, yes, but schools of thought. So if someone comes in to see me, and sometimes they come in very soon after the head injury, but also people who've been suffering for a long period of time and have persistent symptoms. But the approach is almost the same. And that is meeting the patient where they're at. So we have to see, okay, what is your, your aerobic capacity right now? Maybe we have to start you only at five minute walks, right? And then that's where you hit your threshold. But ideally, we want you to be at 20 minutes, five days a week. So first assessing, okay, how much can we get you moving? Then we want to know what is happening with your tissue, because in every concussion, there's a degree of whiplash. It's just sort of, you can't have one without the other. And then you might also just have some local swelling, just like when you hit an elbow, right? So doing some manual therapy and giving some homework exercises for the patient to do at home. And then we're looking at diet, right? The fuel for the recovery and some mindfulness strategies, and then, oh, yes. And then, okay, what the heck is my other pillar? Oh, yes. And then if they are a little bit later in the recovery, we might look at 
I call it, or where I come from, we call it head eye vestibular motion treatment, but really it's, are the eyes moving well? Is the balance system, you know, well calibrated, but we wouldn't do that at day three post-injury. First, we're nurturing the movement, the tissue, nutrition, and mindfulness. And that is really the magic, I would say the magic recipe. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a really good approach. Right? It's so logical. Like we're going to support the health of the system. Mm -hmm. And then when you're monitoring, like how much they can do for exercise. So is it looking for like, okay, if they, you know, walk longer than five minutes, does the symptom come back? Is that how you're kind of monitoring the tolerance? Yeah. And we don't, so you don't need to avoid symptoms altogether, but we do want you to keep them at about a three out of 10 or less. So let's say, um, you know, I, slipped, hit my head, it's three days out. And I say, okay, I'm ready to start doing some activity, I'm going to monitor my symptom, let's say a headache. And if it's a little bit on one or two out of 10, I can still continue on my walk. If it starts to go up three out of 10, four out of 10, I say, okay, that is the sign from my brain from my body that I've, I've reached my capacity, essentially. So Mm. I'm going to bring it down. And then the other thing we look at is heart rate. If I'm on this uh, walk, which is not really exerting myself a lot, and my heart rate is spiking, then I know that my body is not tall. That's where the clinician comes in a little bit handy, because we will have parameters around the heart rate. Um, But if you're just listening to this and want to implement things right away, then we're looking at, okay, we don't want, especially in the early stages, the heart rate over, let's say a hundred beats per minute. Mm -hmm. The formula for any um, neuro nerds out there is 220 minus your age divided by two. Okay. So, we can do the math and figure right. out, right? So there is a, there is a, a formula for it. That's where we would start you. And then also, how much does it feel like you're exerting yourself? So if I'm on this walk, but it feels like I'm climbing, climbing Mount Everest, then again, it's too much for my brain and my body. So it's time to cool down, go home, try again the next day. Right. Okay. It's not just, okay, day three, go for a jog. (laughs) It's okay. Start to get your body moving in a way that is uh, within its limits. And then usually we'll say, depending on who you see, some people say every two days, I usually use three days to be a little more conservative at three days. Okay. Let's try and increase it a little bit, whether that's increasing the length or increasing the pace and see, okay, how does your system tolerate that? And then we're just, we're nurturing it back to activity and, you know, some, some systems are ready to go and others need a little bit more time. Mm, that sounds like such a good um, systematic approach. And I like the stepwise process. And then it's always good to be monitored by a clinician like yourself. And then how does the app come into play? So what do you what does the app provide? Yes. Yeah, so for those patients that are having some trouble with their eye movements or memory, um, the app allows a way to do those sort of exercises at home. So just like how we will uh, move a bicep, 
um, when we're trying to strengthen our bicep or we'll do training for our body, we can do eye movement exercises. And we move our eyes about 100,000 times a day, if not more. So if they're not moving effectively and efficiently, this is going to cause symptoms of fatigue or maybe trouble reading. So we can work on the eye movements or different eye reflexes. And then in the app, there are some concentration exercises, some memory exercises, and there are ways to, you know, start at sort of level one and then increase the difficulty. So okay. it's pretty fun. And then, I mean, if you, you should use it with a clinician, I would say to maximize it, but in the app, there are little question marks that will explain, okay, if I'm just Melissa off the street and I get the app, where would I start? Okay. And if you're Melissa and you're wanting to shine a Ferrari, then you'll you usually need a clinician to like really help you. Um, yeah, just reach that highest mm -hmm. level. Okay. So that's great. It's a tool that you can use at home, but good to have some guidance for the best possible outcomes. Yes. And I guess that's true with most things, right? Like we can start a workout at home and then we build a certain amount of muscle or whatever the goal is, but then to reach the next level, we usually need a little help. From that's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's great. Um, and then what happens with like women's brains and when they get a concussion, maybe in the perimenopause, menopause time or different times of the menstrual cycle, like how do the hormones affect recovery or symptoms? And I think there can be long term effects on hormones from concussions as well, correct? Yes. And it's really interesting because, okay, I'll, I'll touch on the menstrual cycle portion first. And that is depending where a woman is in her cycle, she's actually at increased risk of sustaining a concussion. So in that period, just before your period, the luteal phase, we are actually, um, yes, at an increased risk of sustaining a concussion. And also if we get a concussion during that part of our cycle, we're more likely to have persistent symptoms so this is actually empowering information. And the reason I say that is because it's one of the only things we know and we kind of can control, for example, in sports. Well, if you know you're going to be in the luteal phase, maybe it's not the best decision to be in the most aggressive position during that game. Or maybe you're on the field a little bit less. Um, and the other thing is, if you sustain a concussion or your child sustains a concussion, when they are going to return to play, you definitely don't want them to be in that part of their cycle. Mm -hmm. Are we more clumsy or what's the what's the reason we're more likely to sustain well, a concussion? I think it has to do with actually a couple of things. So hormones for one and I believe it's funny because I have this on my list of things to look into or refresh, but we're actually also at increased risk for like knee injuries. Oh. So it's like to do with the tissue. Oh, interesting. Hormone, so the estrogen maybe. Yes. And that's what I was thinking. And then the other thing is our eye movements are actually not as uh, quick in that 
days of our cycle, which is so wild, right? (laughs) Um, And then women in general are at greater risk of a concussion in same uh, rules sports, for example. And there certainly is a biomechanical type factor where our necks are made a little bit differently, essentially. Um, and then if you are in sort of perimenopause, a concussion can actually throw you into menopause, which is really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it is the, or accelerate that transition. I think it's the trauma, essentially. Mm-hmm. It is the, yeah, like regular cycles and yeah, hormone challenges. Is that like a kind of like a post-concussion syndrome? Is that what it would be kind of referenced as? I guess it would fall under that category for sure. Mm-hmm. And do you know this? Let's say someone is perimenopause and they had a psychological trauma. Could it no. put them in like just... So, yeah, okay. potentially, right? Depending on how, yeah, stress hormones are impacted. We know, you know, with the, the adrenals, the cortisol does influence our, you know, ovaries and our fertility and hormones. So I think, you know, I think it can for sure. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And actually, even so, let's say a woman sustains a concussion who is um, not perimenopausal, like they're, um, what do you call someone? And they're like, Fertile years, I guess. Like, thank you. <laughs> I would, say, I would say, yeah. There's probably other terms, but I'd say in their fertile years, so they're still getting a re- regular. Yes, they're period. still having yeah. regular, semi-regular periods. It can disrupt this cycle so that the periods become irregular, or you miss one, or miss two, or miss three, or get an extra one. So it can disrupt the cycle. And in the research, it says that once the cortisol stabilizes, so that stress hormone plays a huge role. Once the cortisol stabilizes, um, then the cycle usually returns to normal. So I'm wondering if when someone is perimenopause, that cortisol disruption is just too big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we see the relative yeah reduction in hormones, female hormones. So cortisol is like relatively higher. So there's not that kind of counteractive effect of the estrogen and the progesterone potentially. So yeah, that's so fascinating. I mean, it's some of it is, uh, I don't want to say speculative, but it's uh, mm-hmm. contemplative, like we're contemplating because the yeah. research there, they only recently started even looking at women and concussion, right? I know because they're so complicated, right? Even for a lot of other health conditions, it's like, oh, let's just study men because their hormones are more predictable. I know it's really unfortunate. So I'm glad the research is moving in that direction, but I think we have a long way to go for studies in women for all types of conditions. So it'll be fascinating. And Mm. you know, what's interesting is, yeah, just to highlight how much the female hormones play a role is that the risk, the concussion risk is sort of the same in uh, kids that are uh, male or female. But then once puberty hits, the risks start to be different. And then at um, menopause, the risks start to be the same again. Ah, so once things have kind of like stabilized after all those hormonal fluctuations in menopause, yeah, it kind of goes back to what it was. So that's so interesting. Yeah. So, 
I know. It's really fascinating, the human body, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And it's, you know, being a parent and, you know, um, you know, wanting our kids to have fun, but be safe. How do right. we strike that balance? Like, what can we do to, to help prevent? I know they're going to do what they do, but what are some tips no, there? It's so funny. I'm glad you asked this because I was percolating on this um, yesterday and today, and then I forgot and you brought it back to the forefront of my mind. And that is, I really think that the play and the variation in play is so important because I think there's this whole group of humans that have not actually exposed their body to enough, right? Mm. So the body has not learned to be resilient in different positions with different forces. And so I think that play at a young age is actually really, really important. So the body learns, okay, how do I balance, right? And it's just not on the computer the whole time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we want to, yeah, not be scared and overprotective. Exactly. If you get an unexpected like hit on the head uh, from the counter, your body's going to be okay because it has learned to resist and be resilient to different forces and different angles of forces. Like we Mm -hmm. should not be getting concussions from hitting our head on the counter. Right. But it's like so many patients that that's happening to. And I think it's because we lost some resiliency there over the last little while. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say lost. It came down and we need to get you know, get back on it and get our resilience back. (laughs) That makes total sense. Yeah. Like we got to put ourselves in those situations and it's not all like if you get a concussion, it sounds like, yeah, it's not all doom and gloom. If you, you know, do what the recommendations you um, mentioned, do you find a lot of people like are resilient and bounce back after those few weeks or what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And I think now there is, like you were saying, so much more awareness. So people are seeking care early, whereas before this whole wait and see, put yourself in a dark room was actually resulting in people having poor outcomes, essentially. But now we know no, we can get in there early, we can support the system and help people get back to their lives. Yeah, yeah. I wonder too, like just from when we were kids, the approach was, ah, you're fine, shake it off. You didn't pass out. I wonder, like, are there long-term consequences? Like, is there more anxiety, more chronic migraines because we didn't recognize concussions when they were first addressed? Like, could symptoms last years or decades later? Is that possible? So there are definitely people who will come see me or who are out there and will attribute things to a concussion they sustained, or I would say more likely multiple concussions they sustained Mm -hmm. many years ago. Um, The thing is, we could never say for sure. We could say, though, was that the stone in the in the shoe or in the the stone in the shoe that sort of laid the pathway for compensations? Um, yes, but I would say it was more of a risk if there would be repetitive injuries. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I yeah, think so hence- honestly, most people have one concussion in their life, even if they don't remember it. Like just mm-hmm. think we're jumping off of things, whacking our heads here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not Being in Canada with like ice and slippery yes, right? and, and all of that. Luckily, like we're wearing helmets now, but are you seeing a good movement towards like awareness in sport and yeah, more, you know, head protection. They're not allowed to like do headers in soccer. Like, are you seeing changes Absolutely. to help prevent? Yep. And there's been, um, 
actually, there's a whole law called Rowan's Law, which um, has been very powerful in helping sports organizations like youth sports have very specific rules around if a kid hits their head, right? Definitely having them sit out and having a stepwise approach to getting them back into play. So things are being taken more seriously. And with some, what would you call it? Like protocols and organization, which is good. Um, And then people are wearing helmets more. I think people are really appreciating that, you know, it's important to protect your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really. Because it used how to be uncool to wear a helmet, but it's like <laughs> uncool to hit your head really badly. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's important. Very important. Our brains. Um, is there anything else we need to know about concussions that we didn't discuss? Let's see. So, oh, one interesting thing is a research study just came out and it was saying, so one of the things that can happen in a concussion is what we call cognitive intolerance. So there's exercise intolerance, which is where the symptoms come on when you exercise. And so cognitive intolerance is essentially the same. It's when you're doing, you know, schoolwork or intense um adult work and your symptoms are coming on. And so traditionally we would have kids not going to school, but we know that that contributes then to social isolation and deconditioning. So the research is that kids should actually get back to school almost as soon as possible, kind of like that aerobic exercise, but of course being monitored. So maybe they're just going to go for an hour a day at first, but again, not pulling kids out because there are so many other factors to consider and we don't want the social isolation, which is huge, the deconditioning. So yeah, so it's a little bit more of an integrated approach that we take now instead of just um, cocooning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even with Stuart, just for like the two days, just trying to keep him like resting a bit. We were still going for little walks with like sunglasses on. You know, he watches a bit of TV and plays the computer, but not letting him, you know, use the screens for the first two days. That's really challenging. So it's good to hear. Yeah, like we, you know, can ease them into the activity and, and that's actually going to benefit them and just listen yes. to their bodies and the symptoms. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing all of that valuable information. Um, How can people connect with you, reach you, follow you? Yeah, so all of my action happens on my Instagram, which is concussionrehab.ca. I try and post there as regularly as possible. And then my website, coincidentally, is concussionrehab.ca. So that is easy to remember. (laughs) that's where you can find me reach out actually if you go to my website a pop-up should come up that gives you a free download called concuss now what and it's essentially you can print it put it in your first aid kit because it's what to do in the first 24 hours and it has the red flags there and that is I don't do anything with those emails so you're not going to end up on my email list you just get the uh you get the download 
Love it. So we'll link to that for sure. So our listeners can have that on hand because, you know, it does happen, but at least we have some peace of mind in terms of what we do. And then obviously, you know, getting one-on-one support, reaching out to you um, where needed as well. is also going to be valuable. So thank you again. We'll move now to the second part of the podcast. So I know you're a fur mama, you're a sister. So we'll first start off with, well, I'll do my super mom moment. And then I'll ask you your super fur, super sister moment but my super uh, mom moment is that Pete and I had a date night on Friday it'd been a long time coming Stuart slept at his cousin's house which he loves doing so he had a total blast and we went out to a comedy show went out for a nice dinner sat on a patio you know just had the freedom to have a leisurely dinner and chat uninterrupted and not have to cook or do dishes so it was pure bliss so that was definitely my super mom moment schedule that in. Um, oh my gosh, and- that's amazing. And so <laughs> for your resiliency and mental health. <laughs> Right? That's exactly it, right? So I felt refreshed and ready to, you know, parent and work this week. So it all worked out. And then what's your super fur moment or your super sister moment, Melissa? So I think my super fur mama moment, I think, was when I actually got her. And so her name is Ina, and I got her 10 years ago. But around maybe 13 years ago, I met a three-legged cat. And I said to myself, if there's ever a three-legged cat, I'm going to get this, a three-legged, you know, I'm going to adopt them. And then when I was just perusing Toronto Cat Rescue, there was a picture of her and she had just been rescued and had been out of surgery. They were actually looking for donations. But I emailed and I said, I would like to adopt her. And then they let me do the paperwork, even though she wasn't up for adoption yet. And then uh, she became my little fur baby. And she's so great. Yes. (laughs) And is she like, is she able to, she like maneuvers around while she's figured out how to move? Her, Her back leg, one of her back legs is missing, but she can get around. Um, it's actually a bit of a blessing because I can leave the balcony door open and she can't jump. So oh, she's yeah. balcony, she doesn't get on my counters. So, right. <laughs> so it worked out. Well, that's definitely a super fur mama moment for yeah, adopting her and yeah, having her as part of your family. So I love that. <laughs> um, and now we'll share a mess up. So my mama mess up is that I haven't been helping out at Stuart's school as much as I used to I guess you know you go through seasons and we had his school like fun fair this weekend and it was so much work and I know some of his friends parents volunteered a ton of their time so I did have a bit of the mom guilt around that but I know you know when I'm feeling like I'm just recharging after the three years of the pandemic and not realizing I had put so much on my plate so I'm starting to come to a place where I'm feeling like I have more to give again so it's a little bit of a mom guilt mama mess up but thanks to all the moms who volunteer (laughs) Well, we were saying is that um, you can only do what you can do, right? This is true. And it ends and flows. Yeah, yeah, there's different seasons. So I got to let that go. (laughs) Thanks for that. Um, And then what's your fur mama mess up or your sister mess up? Let's see. Oh, my goodness. I wonder. I feel like. Similar to what you're saying, I think my fur mama mess up is like sometimes uh, I'm not there for her as much as I 
feel like I should be. I'm sure that uh, sometimes she likes for me not to be around. (laughs) I feel like sometimes I could give her some more playtime and more attention. It's not, it gets you. Mm -hmm. It does. It really does. But yeah, you're doing what you can with the time you have. Yeah, there's always, it's hard to let go of that guilt. (laughs) I'm sure you're still an amazing fur mama. So (laughs) you're doing a great job. (laughs) And I will share our must have. So my must have is definitely like scheduling, even if it's five, 10 minutes to read a book after I put Stuart down, you know, I want to exercise that muscle where I'm focusing on something without screens or technology. And I still love a good, you know, paperback. I'm not a a fan of reading on Kindle. Um, So I think that's my mama must have. It just really helps reset my nervous system. And I love getting lost in the story. Sometimes they're a little bit too intense. So I haven't finished two books that I almost finished because it got pretty serious and depressing about kids going through some challenging things. So I was like, you know what? I don't have to finish it. I'm just going to read a different one. So (laughs) so this book stops now. And The Little Prince, which actually I just read maybe last year, and I was so in love with it. I'm sure I read it as a kid, maybe, but man, it is a good book. Amazing. I just saw someone post that they had read it, and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about that book. So yeah, I'll have to revisit. Good to know it's a good read in adulthood. Yeah. Amazing. Is that is that your um, fur mama must have or do you have something else that you're totally into right now or you're just general must have? As My Melissa? general must have um, is I have to move in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's best for everyone else and it's best for me <laughs> that I start my day with some movement. Yes. Great. And do you like to do that at home? Do you go out? I'm close to, are you in Toronto? I am. Yeah. I'm the Danforth area. Okay. So I like to run in the Don Valley bike trail, which is actually really, really nice. So yeah. So that's where I go unless it's raining like today. And then I live in a building with a little gym. So I just went and did the exercise bike. Wasn't quite satisfying, but um, it still got the blood flow, right? Yeah, that's right. You got the blood flow to the brain. So (laughs) all the benefits. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing. And thanks again for being a guest today. I'm just going to go through what Tony has going on. So her next hypnobirthing session for expecting parents looking to decrease fear and anxiety to support their natural instincts around labor and birth is this fall. So you can join her at www.hypnobirthingcalgary.com forward slash register. Um, And thanks to our listeners. Thank you all for joining us today. You can email us or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love you to subscribe, leave us a review and a five star rating if you enjoyed this episode. Um, And please share this episode with your friends as well. You can support us by visiting our Patreon page. Um, So tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too and stay safe and healthy everybody. And thanks again, Melissa. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. It was so much fun. Take care.